Father in heaven, this morning we're thankful for this beautiful new morning. We're thankful for the rest we could enjoy, and we're also thankful that we could be at this place and to learn about the things of your creation that you've given for, for a blessing and for us to, help un, to be helped to understand you in an even deeper way. And I just pray that you would be in this room and you would help the minds and, and the, the ears to be keen and receptive to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first class, uh, this morning I'll just, I'll just run down a little bit. This morning we're going to do some, uh, some fundamental principles, trying to get established, okay, what, what, is, what should we actually be looking at? Because there's stuff all over the place out there. And uh, we're going to go over that in the next hour and try to narrow down what, what are we actually supposed to be looking at. But first off, first off we, need to get some, we need to establish some biblical principles before we go any further. Because we could come up with whatever we want, but if it's, an odds with, if it's at odds with the truth, then we're going to be going down a wrong path and, and uh, eventually we're going to wind up uh, in trouble and wondering what happened. Okay, so the first question is, is there a right model? Is there, is there a correct model that we should be looking at to determine what we should be doing? Or is there all kinds of ways of doing things? So that's the first thing we have to establish. Is there a right model? Genesis 1, 27, 28, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. We're going to come back to that fruitful and multiply as another principle later. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now I'm going to tell you before we even go any further that that's the model right there. Established from the beginning, and you'll see as we go along that, that everything that's contained in a correct soil model is in that, those two statements right there. Um, but let me ask you a question. In this statement, it says, well, first of all, it says, that, and he repeats it, that God made man in his own image. So when it comes down here and he says, he formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, do you think God just went outside and grabbed a little bit of dust and threw it in the air and said, uh, and then blew on it and, and, and that was that? Do you think he was arbitrary about it? Or do you think he was formed? Right, yeah, formed is like a deliberate act. It's not, it's not a random act. Um, so what we see here is something very specific. And we're going to keep going here, and you're going to see that it's going to get more and more specific. Make yourself an ark, and this is how you shall make it. Now, I didn't put the whole verse in there. You can go back and you can read the, the entire verse. But that's from Genesis 6, 13, 14. God's telling Noah to build an ark. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 92, God gave Noah the exact dimensions of the ark and explicit directions in regard to its construction in every particular. Did God give Noah a catalog of boats and say, Noah, pick one out or uh, build something you think might work? Did he do that? No. This is very specific again, isn't it? And let them build me a sanctuary. 
according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it, from Exodus 25, 8 and 9, when God's telling Moses to build the sanctuary. Did God give Moses a catalog of house plans, building plans, and say, Moses, pick one out that you like? Did he do that? What does, God, what does the Bible say about God? He doesn't change. Now, this is a hard thing for people to, get, to accept. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that's hard for people to accept is the fact that truth is absolute. The truth is absolute. People are terrified of that concept. But so far, do we see any... Ver- I mean, we, do we see any wobble room in any of this? Did God leave anything up to the discretion of man? Okay, well, let's keep going. Okay. The system of education. By the way, in the first few chapters of education, you get a very clear picture. You don't have to read very far. A very clear picture of God's purpose. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. How much? All after time. Did that mean up to 1823 or 1625 or 2014? For all time. All time. As an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was the schoolroom, nature was the lesson book, the creator himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. What was the lesson book? It wasn't the, it wasn't the word. Now, I'm not saying that because the, the word is primal to everything. But it was the word it's, himself who was illustrating through the lesson book of nature. What was he illustrating? What do you, what do you think he was teaching Adam and Eve? Everything God made is a reflection of his character. Everything. Now, obviously, we live in a world of sin, and there's some marring of that, of that image. But everything that God made was a reflection of his character. And in fact, Paul mentions the idea, and I forgot to put it in here, I apologize, that um, we don't have an excuse. Because, and I'm paraphrasing here, the, uh, uh, let me get it the right way here. I'll just put it this way. The things of God are testified to in nature so that we have no excuse. Even the Godhead. And you're going to see that the the correct soil model represents the Godhead. (laughs) Illustrates it. Just like men and women illustrate. And and the the ability to to have children illustrate the Godhead. It's everywhere. When you start looking at it correctly, you start seeing that it's it's everywhere around you in, in what God made. And that's what God said is completely consistent with what God did, if we understand it correctly. So we got, are we, we straying here yet at all? To me, I think it's pretty, does it matter? Well, first of all, what I'm going to say is that God is not a wandering generality. He's a meaningful specific. He, everything, is determined. It's immovable. It's not going to change. doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter whether we agree with it. It doesn't matter whether we believe it. Paul also said that we were under the law. You remember that? And the law couldn't do anything for us? Why couldn't the law do anything for us? Well, because it couldn't, it, it's not going to change. The laws that govern life are not going to change. We're either in harmony with them or we're not in harmony with them. But they're not going to change. So the law can't do anything for us. We're in violation of it. It's not, it's, it's not going to matter. It can't do anything for us. That's why salvation is so important. But does it matter? Is it really that big of a deal? You know, we haven't got the soil yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But we've got to, we've got to get the right right foundation. We've got to get the right mindset before we actually go into it. And you're going to see why, because there's all kinds of flavors out there. There's all kinds of choices out there. And, and uh, we're going to look at them, and you're going to see that some of them, every one of them has something that's true. But not everything is true. The devil will never give you just everything in error. He always has to give you something that's true, and it makes it sound reasonable and a lot of you have read this statement. It doesn't really have any, you know, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't have anything to do with soil. It does. Um, it has a lot more to do with it than people realize. There are many ways to practice the healing art, but only one way that heaven approves. How many? One. Could there be more than one? There can't be more than one. Unless there's more than one God. Well, some people believe that. In the second volume of the Testimonies, page 70, it is just as much a sin to violate the laws of our being as to break one of the Ten Commandments, for we cannot do either without breaking God's law. Amen. Does it matter? Again, we're coming back to the reality. Now, this, this can get pretty heavy. I am going to move this thing. This can get pretty heavy. So we need to remember that, that God made provision for the for the condition that we're in. And uh, there is, there's a way out. I just want us to realize that there's more to that than just an, an accounting ledger. There's more to it. And, and it's, it's not to make it hard, although it, it, well, we'll get to that later. Okay. That was from the Spirit of Prophecy for Inspiration. This says the same thing from the Word of God. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Again, have we got any variation here in, in whether it matters or it doesn't matter? God is very specific, and he's very specific about everything that affects our lives, that touches our lives. And ultimately, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many pathways are there? One. Just one. Now, what I'm saying here, I don't know if I'm making anybody uncomfortable, but what I'm saying here is there is only one way. There is only one model. Now, I'm going to differentiate that because people get, and we're going to go into this more as we go along, so 
Uh, and we'll have a little bit of uh, time after the third session if people have questions or want to discuss anything. Well, I'm, I'm trying to leave a little bit of time there. We get really uncomfortable with this idea, and, uh, but there is only one way. But God leads you. Uh, there's only one model, and that's Jesus Christ. Am I correct? But our individual conditions are unique. Now, this is going to be important when we get to the soil part. Our individual conditions are unique. We're all in sin, but our need is unique to that model. Amen. And so, the model is not different. Now, one of the things I bring up here is, how many, how many manner of fruit are there on the tree of life? Twelve. How many trunks are there? It goes across. But it's, it's really one, it goes down, and it, yeah, I shouldn't have brought that up because then I'll have to do a whole other class on why that's, <laughs> um, but one of the mistakes that we make, and I have people come up to me and say, because we want, always want the easy way, and uh, I, do, I do soil fertility consulting for several hundred other growers. And I have people ask me all the time, I say, can't I just do what you're doing? Or have you had somebody tell you, wow, this worked really great for me. You ought to try it. And you tried it, and it didn't work? <laughs> I have some illustrations on that. But the reality is that our individual need is unique to this model. And we need to know what our need is. I told a person one time, and they just didn't want to spend the money on a soil test. But I told the person, they said, can I just do what you're doing? I mean, we're both in Kentucky. We're not that far away. Yeah, surely it's, surely it's close enough. And I said to him, I said, well, I'll tell you what I do if you'll agree with what I'm getting ready to say. I said, if you agree that my exact spiritual condition is, exact, is the same as yours, and my need is exactly the same as yours in every respect, then I'll tell you what I'm doing. And he said, oh, well, I don't think that's right. And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you then. Because what you need is not what I need. It, well, this model's the same. It's, it's a different thing. The soil connection. Now, I could put a, in order to try to keep myself on time here, which I need to keep myself on time here. We go till 9.15, is that correct? Okay. Um, I'm leaving a lot of material out that, that could, be, could be included in here. Like we could look at the garden. Everything we need today is no more and no less than everything Adam and Eve needed in the garden in the beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in order to restore the image of God, we need to restore the garden. We need to restore the... the provision that God made for man's physical nourishment. We need to restore God's provision for man's social nourishment. We need to restore God's provision for man's emotional and mental nourishment. And we need to restore God's provision for man's spiritual nourishment. If we want to be complete people, if we want to be whole people. And it's always interesting to me that we will, we will get so uptight sometimes about the sources of our spiritual nourishment, but we will go and eat anything 
that's the cheapest or the most accessible to, to nourish our bodies. What does the Bible say? That the body and the mind are one. Is that right? Now, what, when it says the body and the mind, it doesn't say the body and the brain. You know what the difference is? The brain is part of the body. I mean, it's, it's the body. The body and the mind, it's actually your, your consciousness, your spirituality, your mental capacity is the mind. It's what's overlaid onto that brain. And if that brain is not nourished, if, that bra- if it's not properly cared for, then the mind that is, that is functioning in it is going to have a lot of problems. And I see more of that, more and more of that happening around us. I'm terrified to drive anymore sometimes. Uh, with, with, I see people going by and they're just on their phone or they're just mentally, mentally out of it. Um, actually, we'll get into this a little bit later probably too. I call it a 3D world that we live in now. Dumbed down, debilitated, and distracted. And tell me if that's not true. The devil, is, the devil has pulled out every means that he can to keep us from the truth. And to keep us from what God will do for us if we'll cooperate with him. If we'll, we'll submit ourselves to his leading. Um, and you'll, when we, further on down the road, you're going to see that we have to die daily. That's illustrated in the soil. Bet you didn't know that, did you? That we have to die daily. Um, okay, so let me just read this one. How many of you have read the parable of the sower? There's a couple, there, there's several uh, references I can pull out of that. But this one, that which the parable of the sower chiefly deals is the effect produced on the seed by the soil in which it is cast. Now here, Jesus is correlating the soil to what? To our character. I use that term all the time now. What's the character of the soil? He's connecting the character of the soil, or the condition of the soil, to the condition of our character. Because you can go on and read. It's not, there's no problem with the seed, although we have some, some problems with seed today. But there was in, the, in this illustration, there was no problem with the seed, and there was no problem with the sower. It was the soil that was the problem. And it was the soil that made the difference about whether or not you would have thorns or thistles or you would have fruit. And uh, we'll get into the enzyme and the hormone systems later, but if the enzyme and hormone systems are not functional, you're going to get thorns and thistles or hard ground and a variety of other bad things. If they're good, you're going to bear fruit. A simple, it's a simple process. Okay, I want to give a couple more defining principles here. Because when we go to this next section and we start looking at the different schools of thought in agriculture, when, we try to, when we're trying to flesh out what modeling we should be embracing, these things are going to come into, they're, they're going to come into play. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many people? Whosoever. Who does that leave out? Nobody. 
the model that we embrace has to be ap applicable anywhere, anytime, to any soil, for any crop. It's not specific to the crop. It's not sp specific to the climate or the conditions. It's applicable to whosoever. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whosoever it is. It, the model applies. And the next one we need to look at is to the law, and that's from Acts 2.21. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. You're going to see when we get into this next hour how this comes into play. What is this, what, what is this statement telling you? There's a standard, and you're going to see that one of the most prominent schools of thought today, growing, is at odds with that. Is at odds with that statement. So we have to take that into, take that into consideration too. Now, there were a couple others, and I just wrote them down here. I didn't put up here. Um, what does the Bible say about the sins of the Father being passed down? Have you ever heard the, time, the term parent material? Amen. Have you ever heard the term parent, parent material? Or, boy, those kids have, are sure a lot like me. We have to keep this in mind as well because there are two phenomena, uh, like for living things, you've got genetics, but you also have epigenetics. Does anybody know what epigenetics is? Okay, let me just quickly, I'll, I'll quickly illustrate it and explain it. Genetics, of course, is, is what determines who we are, right? Epigenetics determines how we express who we are. And I, I want to give you an illustration. There's a whole bunch that I could give you. And this, this is right in direct connection with that biblical reference I just made, the sins of the fathers. Now, you can put it the other way, too. And it's the faithfulness of the fathers that will be passed down as well. Some mice in the laboratory were... Um, they wanted to see if... if, if influences to the parent would be passed on to the offspring. And so they took male mice and they blew cherry blossom fragrance into the cage. Now some of you may have heard this, I've used this illustration before. They blew cherry blossom fragrance into the cage, but every time they, now you would all agree with me that cherry blossom, the smell of cherry blossoms is, is a pretty good smell, okay? Well every time they blew that cherry blossom fragrance into the cage, they shocked the mice and inflicted pain. And what they wanted to find out was, would the offspring respond to the, stimula to, to the, the stimulation of the cherry blossom fragrance the way the parents did when they were, when, when they were you know, shocked and, were, and pain was inflicted. And so with the next, off, the next generation of mice, they, they put the male mice into the cage and they blew the cherry blossom fragrance in, and what do you think happened? They responded the same way that their parents did. They associated the fragrance of cherry blossom with pain. Now, what you have happening here is you have an, you have an orient, it's not, a, it's not a, a change in the genetics. 
it's a change in how those genetics are expressed. And so other in other words, what's happened here is neurological pathways and hormonal signals and, and uh, those type of things become oriented to connect those two things together. And so you'll, you, neurological pathways are developed connecting the pain to the stimulus of the, of the cherry blossom fragrance. And it's exaggerated. It's like a rut in a road. You keep, you, you know, if, if your experiences in life continue to tell you that this, this is what this does to me, then you develop these pathways uh, of response or expression to that, that, that input. It's called the experiences of life. It's epigenetics, and that's where our problem is. We've deformed the image of God. We've deformed the genetics via the expression. And we could, we'll probably get some more illustrations as we, as we go along with that. But that can be reformed. And that's a key word to remember, too. Reformed, not formed. You'll hear this word formation a lot these days. Uh, that's all about forming your own godhood. It's not about reforming the image of God. But we're going to talk about that in the next hour, too. Okay, so did everybody on the epigenetic thing, you understand that, that different? Because the this, this same phenomena happens out in nature. Does anybody know what a, a thistle actually is? Huh? It's a flower petal that's turned in on itself. It's a flower petal that's turned in on itself. What about a thorn? It's a branch that just didn't finish growing. And with time, these are epigenetic phenomena. They're deformations. And I'm illustrating that here while we're doing this because you're gonna, you'll see as we get, when we get on into biology that everything has its place in God's order. And everything has its nourishment, its food source in God's order. And remind me when we get to biology, and I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations, how what we call a pathogen, a destructive organism, when... Uh, given the hostile conditions that it's in, when you change those conditions and you, you restore the food source, that organism actually becomes probiotic, pro-life, beneficial to life, whereas under the hostile conditions, it was destructive. I've got two or three of those illustrations, at least, that we can talk about when we get to biology. Well, I'll throw one in right here. It's not with, it's not with the microbiology we're going to be talking about. Over in New Zealand... Um, there's a bird, I can't remember, I just lost the name of it. Kiwi. Yeah. And it, it prefers the roots, uh, and I can't remember the name of the tree, but it prefers the roots of this very particular tree. And they started developing over there and everything, and they started taking these trees out. And so the food source for the, for the kiwi was being taken away. And so the, the bird hopped onto the back of the sheep and ate its way into the kidneys and ate the kidneys of the sheep. And it got so bad that they had to start replanting the trees. They put the trees back, the birds stopped killing the sheep. 
that's a pretty graphic illustration of how, you know, a hostile condition, when a food source is taken away, then you resort to another food source to get what you need. But we'll talk about more of that as we, as we go throughout the, the presentations here. Um, another one is, let me just look this up, because there's another one that's important here. Let me just make sure I get it here. Remember in the very first one when, we, when we, God illustrated how he had created man? And what, is, what did he create him for? What was that last part of that one verse? To be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth. Fill it with what? Fill it with the glory of God was the, was the purpose. And so when we're looking at a model again, we want to be sure that that model is actually capable of conferring the ability to be fruitful and multiply. Now, you may say to me, and we're going to go through it in the next hour, you may say to me, uh, well, look at all the crops people are growing. They're producing crops. We were, uh, uh, Sean Spidell, who rode down with me, noticed some cattle on on the side of the road there as we were going by. He said, boy, those cattle look terrible. Um, How many people you know, they, they move the cattle, well, they move them down here because of the nicer weather, but they move the cattle east. They breed them further west. Well, they do a lot of artificial breeding now, so it's kind of distorted, this illustration. But, and then they would move them east and south to fatten them up. We'll talk about in the next hour why they do that. Okay. That's about it. We're done a little bit early. Oh, there is one more reality here. What are the two things that God is going to re- recreate that he has to recreate? What are the two things? He has to give us new bodies and, a, and he has to create a new earth. They are both broken and they are no longer in harmony with the purposes of God. So does that mean there's nothing we can do? Doesn't the, doesn't the Bible call us to holiness? So how do you reconcile those two things? We're going to talk about imparting the right character. Imparting the right character. And uh, we'll talk about the realities of that condition. And I, I had somebody asking me, and I hope I don't really offend anybody. I may offend somebody eventually with some of this stuff. But somebody was asking me about what I thought about hydroponics. Um, and I'll just simply say, if you want to put oil in the lamp, it's not going to happen that way. Now, and I'm not, you know, I'm not being critical of somebody that's doing that. You can grow food that way. I'm just saying that you will never put oil in the lamp doing that. Next question. Sure. There's 144,000 that are to stand when Christ comes. Wouldn't it stand a reason that there's 144,000 that in some capacity have corrected those two things? The question was, if there were 144,000 who were going to stand with Christ comes, wouldn't it, there be 144,000 who, who corrected those two things? And the answer is yes. Um, but we could spend a week just discussing that. So I'm going to leave some stuff to you. Now, I'm, in, I'm up here in front of you. And I'm sharing with you what I believe to be true. 
I'm going to be sharing with you what my experience has been through my lifetime, and particularly the last 25 years. But it's up to you to determine the validity of it, or the, or the lack of validity of it. You're probably going to hear things from people. If you go to different classes, you're going to hear things uh, said that this is the way it is, and it's going to be different than what I say possibly. Um, and I'm not saying that to say that they are wrong. What I'm saying to you is, if we get the right, if we get the right criteria here, you need to dis determine what you should hold on to and what you need to let go of. And people's experience, and, and after saying that, I want to make sure that you hear what I say right now. The most important thing that we need to have is the right spirit in the approach to knowledge and understanding. We don't all have to be in the right pla same place at the same time, but we can all be on the same. Remember I said that we're each unique in our needs, and so we're coming from different roads. We're coming from different directions, different experiences. And so because somebody may be representing something in a particular way doesn't mean that they're insincere or they're um, trying to mislead anybody. It's based on their experience and, and their knowledge and understanding. And as long as we're all of the same mind and spirit, then we're all going to get to the right place. And that's the hardest thing for people to do, you know, to work together in an institution or even in a family when everybody's coming from a different place and different priorities or different experiences and everything. But it's always the, having the right spirit that will, will keep people all getting closer together rather than you know, button heads and, and bouncing off and going the opposite directions on it. Um, I think there was one more here. I guess that was it. Um, does anybody, anybody else have any questions? Oh, with hydroponics. I didn't understand what you were trying to say there. Well, I'll explain it a little bit briefly here, but we're going we're gonna to get it all uh, sorted out when we start looking at different approaches and, and, and what our priorities are. The time is coming when, when uh, you're going to have to stand without an intercessor. And there may be a time, and there may be a, what's the Bible say, a delay? Do you want to be in this situation that the, the virgins were, they ran out of oil? It's talking about, it's talking about carbon fertility here. And the, and the building of reserves in the soil so that it can go whether there's any more input or not. They can endure for a while. Now, it can endure forever, and we're going to talk about that. Remember I said that, that we need a new body and we need a new earth. They're not, they're not in harmony with the truth. Nature's not in rebellion against God, but it's, it's broken. It's groaning under the curse just like people are. And so there's no inherent, inherent um, harmony between the image of God and those things. But that image can be imparted into a broken vessel. And that vessel can be healed. 
And we'll, we'll get into more of that, but it, it, it's basically in a hydroponic system, you're never, it, it's an unsta you know, unstable system. It's, it has to be constantly managed and you have to be constantly putting inputs in. So there's never any building of fertility. There's never any building of, of a different character. And honestly, hydroponic, while it's more expensive, it's a lot less of a hassle. You're going to see if you're not doing it yet, and you go out to, you have to grow, start growing stuff. People say to me, well, do I need all this and that and everything to start? And I said, no. Go dig up the soil and put some seeds in it, and you'll find out the condition and your need. <laughs> you don't. Then, then, you're, then you'll hopefully realize your condition. Now, Spirit of Prophecy points that out, and the Bible points that out, that the garden became a lesson book to remind us of our condition but also to, to help us to see the promises of God and the potential that salvation has brought to us. So it's not, it's not all a negative thing. But unless you can, unless you can build that oil in the lamp, and, and it's literally actually oil, uh, which we'll talk about when we get in carbon, to carbon fertility, but you're building, you're building an, an energy reserve, you're building a character reserve that all can be tapped in a, time of, in a time of trouble when you don't have access to other resources. And we have to, it's a lesson for us that we have to build that in our character. We have to build that durability to a, a depth, you know, to a much deeper place than just superficial because, you know, if it all of a sudden you're in a crisis and you don't have access to those resources anymore, do you have anything to go on without them? So. Any other questions? Yeah. With the cherry blossoms and the genetics, were they shot uh, while they were um, carrying mice in their womb, or was it regardless of whether they No, it was just the male mice. It was the male mice, and then, then they were bred, and then it was the male offspring that were checked. So, but what you're bringing up is, is, uh, is a very important point, though. It, it, it plays a major role in our, the, uh, the epigenetic influences. We have four children that are, that are adopted. And so, you know, when you have your own kids, you see yourself, you see some of their characteristics, some of them you like, some of them you don't like too much. And you, <laughs> but you don't like them about yourself either. It's, it's, um, but when you adopt children, you get a whole different set of behaviors and attitudes. And I can't go into specifics here because I don't, you know, this is being taped and everything, but I can tell you that the epigenetic influences were imposed on the mother of some of our children had a profound impact on them. You cannot impose hormonal influences and enzyme influences, which we're going to get into the enzymes and the hormones, the two, those two systems. You cannot impose them on a child in development and not expect that it's not going to have an epigenetic influence on their disposition. It's going to affect their disposition. When, we, when we're looking at soil, we talk about, there's different soil types. It's like the 12 sons of Jacob. It's kind of what, or the 12 disciples. 
there's 12 soil types and they're, they're deformed in various ways so that they're, they're, they're expressing themselves and this is important, you need to know this when you're trying to work with your soil is that those soils are gonna wanna, just like we do, they're gonna wanna express what they're made up of. They're gonna wanna express that. And you need to know what that is. And I, what I and let me just give you an illustration so you, you help you to, to understand it. I just did uh, soil tests for a client up near Frankfort, Kentucky, and uh, they're gonna be putting an orchard in there. And the soil test came back and they were out, way out the roof on phosphate. They had excessive, excessive phosphate and excessive calcium. Well, that tells you right away one of two things. Either they're on an appetite rock, a rock phosphate or body, or somebody got carried away with a, a colloidal phosphate or compost. And in this case, it was just a natural, it was a natural appetite rock ore body. Nothing had been, I sent an email to him, I said, who got carried away with the, with the colloidal phosphate? And he said, nobody, this hasn't been, this hasn't ever been farmed. It's virgin ground. Um, so here's a condition. Neil Kinsey, the man I work with, he told me one time, and by the way, he's a Christian, he's a Sabbath keeper, uh, a very humble man, one of the most humble men I've ever met. Um, gracious man, very smart. But he told me one time, he said, the soil's the way it is, either because of the flood and or what's been done to it. And so here was a situation where nothing had been done to it, it was just deformed as a consequence of the flood. Now I have other, I have other soils, I have other clients who they definitely did something to it. And I have one client who's crying because his soil naturally was really close to balanced. And then he put all this compost on and everything like that and he just totally messed it up. So it's very important, this is a, a, a very important point. You can't, well, I'll give you a couple of them. You cannot manage what you cannot measure. And we could go into the biblical illustrations of the, the plum bob in Israel. You cannot manage what you cannot measure. And good information leads to good decisions that lead to good outcomes. So, I guarantee you that almost every client that I have has done harm and wasted tremendous amounts of money because of poor information or the lack of it, lack of information. We just guess sometimes, or that's what everybody else is doing, so surely it's right. How many times has the majority been right in history? Huh? Only in heaven. Yeah, I can, I can pretty confidently say it's very rare, if ever. So don't go on the idea, uh, and we're going to go through some of these things as well. Don't go on the idea, well, it worked for such and so-and-so, so it ought to work for me. I'm going to give you an illustration of how, how bad it can get when you do that, do that kind of thing. Um, one of them I'm going to share with you is, how many of you heard the Back to Eden video? Okay. 
We're going to talk about that one. And I'm not, I'm not doing that to pick on it, but again, here you have good, you have some very good principles. But the real question is, are your conditions such that those principles are the correct ones to be applied? And if they're not, um, you're going to cause harm. And another, another principle to keep in mind that we need to really understand is do you know the difference between going out to witness and witnessing and you're going out? Sometimes we do harm going out to witness because we want to share with people. Now, I'm not telling you not to do that, so don't take it beyond what I'm saying here that because we should go out and we should be willing to share, share our, our testimony and everything. But sometimes we want to go out and we want to tell people about something that they're not prepared to hear. If we, if we witness in our going out, now in, in my experience at Eden Valley, when I was out at Eden Valley, um, the, the markets that we did out there, they had no solicitation laws, rules. And so you couldn't, just, you couldn't hand out tracts or anything like that. And invariably every year when I'd have students come in, I'd have to you know, communicate this before we go to the market. And somebody'd get upset and say, oh, we have freedom of speech and nobody can tell us not to do that. And I always put this challenge to them. When we go to the marketplace, take the absolute best product there is. Present it in the most beautiful way. And present yourself in the most winsome way. And you know what happens? They ask the question. Huh? They solicit you. They ask the question. And, if, and no, I would have people that just would not believe that. Oh, well, they might ask questions about health or something like that, but they're not going to ask spiritual questions. And I loved, I wish I had a camera and taken pictures. I never did, but I wish I had a camera for every time somebody came up and they asked a personal question. And it was a spiritual question. Yeah, we had health questions. Yeah, I, I was expecting that. But what we had done is we had won those people's confidence, their trust. They were, they were ready to expose themselves to risk sharing some things that may be painful, that may be difficult. And you know what the beautiful thing is when, when that happens? The solicitation laws go out the wall, window. You didn't solicit them, they solicited you. So now you can do whatever you want to do with them. And what, you know what the other beautiful thing is? you know exactly where the Holy Spirit has them. You know exactly what they need answer. You know exactly what they need an answer to. And you can go from there. We need to be doing more and more, more and more of that. Because then we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Now again, don't take too far what I, you know, I'm not telling you not to go out and witness. I'm telling you that if you, if you, you're going to witness if you're in harmony with the truth, you're going to witness and you're going out. Another, another thing that will happen um, when you are following the right model and you're moving closer to it is, one, it changes you, but when you offer that, listen, it doesn't matter. We think that, that, that uh, we need to share doctrine or spiritual truths with people, but remember in the garden all the provisions God made? You reach anybody through any one of those provisions, whether it's physical nourishment, social nourishment, emotional, 
and mental nourishment and, or spiritual nourishment, it doesn't matter which one it is, you bring them something better and it will affect them. I, had, I have more customers who say, and I can, I, I, I'll have the same thing, uh, let me finish my part. I have many, 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 many customers who would, you know, people in the market, we were always the highest price seller in the market. Not because we were trying to gouge people, but we were, we were selling at what it cost us to produce and to be profitable. We, we were giving them their money's worth. We were giving them more nourishment than what anybody else was. And so we weren't, we weren't charging just to, because of a fad or because we labeled ourselves some way or another. Um, but you know, people always go and see, somebody else is always selling it cheaper. We had one vendor who's, he'd do the buy, you know, fill a bag for five bucks or something and you know, he'd always have that kind of comp. We're, aren't we competing against that spiritually too? Aren't we, aren't we really competing in, this, in society with that kind of mentality? Whatever is cheap? But we would invariably have people come back and say, what are you guys doing different? Your stuff tastes different, right, George? It's different. And not only was it a great eating experience because it tasted good, but the bigger part of it is when you have customers say, boy, I sleep better. Or I wake up in the morning and I'm looking forward to the day. I'm hopeful. Um, we get along with each other better. When you start hearing those things, do you think their ear is open to what else you might have to tell them? What are you doing when they ask you that question? What are you guys doing different than what everybody else is? We have a huge opportunity as a church, as a movement, as a mission, through this avenue, a huge opportunity that's barely, barely being tapped. Barely. Okay, we need to stop for sure now. It's time to take a break, a 15-minute break. When we come back, we're going to... Um, look at some of the guiding principles from science and try to narrow this down because science and the, the word and the, and the works are consistent with each other if they're correctly understood. And so when we look, we look at that, we're going to bring these principles, these biblical principles to bear on the science to make sure that the science of whatever model we're going to try to look at is consistent. If it's not, then we have to look somewhere else. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.